Hey everybody, this is David from United Animal Health, and you're listening to the Win With Science podcast, the show where we sit down with some really smart people to get their take on new ideas, opportunities, and the science that wins. It's for people who love staying ahead and being in the know. There's no such thing as clean corn, and the variation in toxin levels is a real killer. Spikes and mycotoxins occur everywhere. In the same feed mill over time, in geographies where the risk is low or high, or even in the same load of corn, there is no consistency. So you never know what level of mycotoxins you are really feeding. We all know toxins knock down performance. They create health challenges. They're bad for raising livestock overall. Understanding your risks and having a plan can save you big headaches. I'm joined today with Riley Bax, Feed Research Supervisor at United Animal Health, and Catherine McCormick, a research associate at United. Riley is a lab guy, and Catherine works research on the farm. Between the two of them, we can connect the dots from the lab to the barn. These two have been looking at mycotoxins for most of their careers, so there's a lot to learn here. Let's get started. Riley, Catherine, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Great. Let's get started. So you're mycotoxin researchers. How does that work? Riley, you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, in a broad sense, I oversee the uh, mycotoxin surveillance program here at United Animal Health. Um, I work with a talented team that uh, receives all the samples that are sent to us, and um, we test those, and we use the information that we get, and we can uh, kind of analyze and look at the trends kind of around the nation, um, both at the state level and the regional level, and um, also help the producers at a real-time uh, scale understand the risk of the mycotoxin contamination within their, within their locations. And then with this information, they can help develop strategies uh, that can help them, you know, minimize that negative impact. Catherine, anything you'd like to add? Um, yeah, so I work on the more animal side of things uh, with mycotoxins. We're consistently doing trials, a big team of us, um, from nursery to finisher to sows, looking at mycotoxin impact, you know, on gut health, uh, growth performance, wean to first service, things like that, um, that are big markers for producers and our customers, and then how we can, you know, improve that through mitigation or management practices. Yeah, and we were, we were talking a little bit before we got started about um, the kind of three pieces to the answer here. Um, risk, the real risk of mycotoxins through surveillance, um, the impact on the animal and how you manage that and protect the animal. So I thought that would be a good framework for our discussion. And maybe we'd start then with uh, talking about what the real risk looks like through surveillance. So maybe we'd start with you, Riley, and say, what does surveillance look like to you just in a general sense? The way I kind of like to picture it is uh, surveillance is like watching a movie frame by frame. So every time we test a sample, we get another frame of our, of our movie. And depending on how often we sample is how often we get to see a frame of that movie. And kind of figure out what the plot is. So the goal is to be able to, you know, fully see, you know, the, the larger plot and the larger picture. And so that's kind of the analogy I like to use with surveillance. It's basically watching a movie and, you know, making sure that we're seeing enough of it that we can understand what's going on. So round numbers, how many frames do you see a year? <laughs> we see, last year was our record year. We saw a little over 6,500 samples. Oh, that's a long movie. It is a long movie, yeah. And um, what is that? What do you what do you see trend wise in that samples? It depends on the region, the location. Uh, some are more uh, variable than others. Um, 
some are more stable than others. It just kind of depends on where you're at. Uh, but one thing that we've kind of come to understand through our you know, experience with this is just how vital uh, consistent sampling is. Um, you know, as we all know, uh, bins and trucks and silos are not you know, homogeneously contaminated throughout. And so if we're not sampling enough, we're not going back to my original analogy, we're not getting the whole plot. We're, we're missing a lot of plot points. And so um, what we end up doing is we um, are potentially exposing ourselves to unknown risks because we're not properly monitoring or someone's not properly monitoring their mycotoxins. So we talked a little bit about um, in the introduction, Catherine, you're responsible for trial work. Um, how many trials do we do? What do we see from those trials? You want to give us a big picture there? Yeah, so we've been running mycotoxin uh, type trials. Uh, they vary, um, so sometimes we'll induce a mycotoxin response with pigs uh, where we add, you know, higher contaminated corn, um, see what those animals, you know, how they perform, and then if they uh, recover uh, with feeding a mitigant or different practices, we have responders and non-responder animals, um, so we can do a lot on health and integrity of the gut, um, things like that, to really understand how these mycotoxins interact uh, with the pig and moving forward. What's what's responder, non-responder, what does that mean? Um, so a responder pig is if we feed um, a, a known level of mycotoxin that is, you know, above a uh, cautionary level, um, those pigs tend to um, have a lower performance than a pig that would just eat through that same feed. So a non-responder um, isn't nearly as impacted. And we're still trying to understand um, the reasoning behind those differences with those animals. Okay. Riley, I meant to ask you, um, the question everybody wants to know, it's early yet, but what have you seen from the 2023 crop on surveillance? It's gonna be an interesting one, I think. One thing I've noticed is the, the regional averages are pretty similar to last year. Um, nothing is really sticking out too much uh, in that regard, but what I found interesting so far, especially in central Indiana, is the, the what I think is a much greater variation in what we're seeing, especially with vomitoxin, um, ranging from you know a lot of clean corn out there, but there's also you know more so than a lot of other years, we're seeing a lot of vomitoxins at 20 parts per million, 15 parts per million, which in previous years used to be kind of uncommon, but this year it seems to be cropping up more than more than typical. So um, I think it's definitely something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Fumonacin, I think, may be a, an issue, especially a little farther out west um, in Kansas, Missouri areas. So um, I definitely think those are some uh, are going to be some unique uh, features of this year. Is you know even though our averages may look similar to previous years, the the, the wider variation is going to be an issue. Okay, you know. We did some market research here at United, and uh, that market research showed us that 30% of the people say that they monitor risk by pigs going off feed. 14% say they monitor the risk with a smell test, whatever that is. 10% say they monitor risk by moisture tests. Both of you, let's start with you, Riley. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, you know a lot of that is a highly subjective uh, way of controlling the risk of mycotoxins, especially with a smell test. Um, assuming none of your uh, people sampling have, you know, COVID or a stuffy nose at the time, you know, it's uh, you may miss a little bit there. But 
um, especially with the 30% that just wait until pigs go off feed. I think it's a very uh, reactive stance and you're, you're essentially increasing your risk and the potential negative effects of those toxins by um, essentially doing nothing until something bad happens. Catherine, 30% monitor risk by waiting on the pigs to go off feed. What are your thoughts from the barn standpoint? Um, that means that you're a little too late to the party. Um, so those pigs are probably at least eating some type of toxin level corn uh, before they officially stopped eating. And we know from our research within our facilities um, that if we have a toxin exposure, those pigs are always then behind um, a contemporary that didn't have necessarily a higher toxin load. Um, and especially in a nursery pig, um, it's really vital to get those pigs off and started. Um, we know that nursery pigs, you know, a bigger nursery pig leads to a bigger finisher pig, leads to getting, you know, barn closeouts uh, done a little bit quicker. Um, so if we, you know, give them a toxin exposure, even for a week or so, um, we have data that shows that that, you know, negatively impacts them on a longer term basis than just that week. Great. You know, that leads us right into the next piece here, which is know the impact on the animal. You've addressed it already. Do you want to add anything to that, Riley? How do mycotoxins impact the animal in a general sense? I think Catherine's definitely going to be the uh, the expert on that. But one thing that uh, I'm seeing producers are beginning to be more interested in is even very low levels of zeralinone and their effect on the cells. Um, I think, you know, even at, you know, I think a lot of times we base decisions based on whether it's above or below the advisory level. But I think what's happening in, is we're seeing the negative impacts um, even at the at the lower below advisory levels, I think it's always going to have some type of negative impact, and I think the impact on the sows and the breeding aspect that uh, zeralinone can uh, affect, I think, is becoming more and more important. Catherine, um, I agree with that. You know, zeralinone plays a big part in you know conception and uh, getting those sows on wean to first service. So having low levels and causing that, you know, you need the sow to breed to have piglets to fill your nursery and finishers. You know, they're the key piece of the starting point. Um, and then, you know, as we go through the nursery, uh, getting those pigs, you know, if they see vomitoxin, you know, that one's a really big impact for them on performance along with those finisher pigs. So, How do we know the impact? We personally have trials out there that, you know, show the reduction in growth performance and, you know, that's obviously a lead measure. Um, it's easy to quantify as a, you know, producer, right? You start them, you take them to market in the same number of days, they're lighter weight or whatever, you know that you had a growth impact. Um, but we've been doing a lot more on, you know, gut integrity, the health and wellness of the animal too. So that be is becoming a more vital part as our industry changes. Can you always expect the same impact? You cannot. I wish we could uh, make life a lot easier um, for us. But no, uh, we can't always expect the same impact. So one of the things is, you know, we talk about a single mycotoxin, right? But most corn um, or most uh, feed ingredients as a whole have, you know, you know, they could have two uh, toxins that are high out of those four we talk about. And so some of that plays an impact about how those pigs uh, react and things like that. And the last part of the puzzle, know how to solve or manage the problem and protect the animal. So if you could manage mycotoxins, uh, give us some idea of how that protects the animal. If we can manage mycotoxins, whether that's through, you know, making sure 
our corner ingredients are dry um, at so potentially at like its lowest level of toxin uh, knowing what's in that feed through the surveillance things like that hopefully we can you know protect that animal by knowing what goes into them and then we can make decisions uh, you know going forward is that adding a mitigant to protect the animal or you know redistributing where that feed goes um, you know if it's high xeralanone we probably don't want to feed it to a sow unit but it could go to a finisher unit or you know things like that where we can kind of mitigate or change some diets up um, tends to have a higher because uh, it's more concentrated we can reduce those levels and kind of reformulate some diets things like that so managing and knowing what we have to deal with is the best practice all right, one last question as we close this out. How do you think differently about mycotoxins? If you were challenging status quo and the way you traditionally view it, how would you recommend to somebody to think differently about their mycotoxin strategies? I think too often uh, we've taken, as you know, shown by 30% of people um, who just wait for pigs to come off feed, is we're taking too much of a reactive stance. I think we need to, um, especially in times of uh, you know tight margins that every ounce of performance matters and knowing the effects of mycotoxins I think it's important that we you know through surveillance and through testing that we allow ourselves to take more proactive measures and um, essentially uh, ensure that we're getting the most performance out of our pigs I think it's important to also understand that you know there is variation in that even if we test one or two samples and they come back clean doesn't necessarily mean that moving forward it's going to be the same way going back to you know watching the movie frame by frame as we test and as we kind of gain more of the plot yeah we can make a more predictive stance of maybe where it's going to go and what we're going to see but you know, like any good movie there's always this plot twist there's always going to be those spikes and and mycotoxins so it's important that we continue to monitor and we continue to survey you know to make sure that we're getting the the, the proper plot and what we're seeing that's great Catherine. anything you'd like to add yeah, I think the big thing is, you know, we think differently that we know that there's toxins present. We don't take that assumption of clean versus dirty corn or feed ingredient anymore as we used to, or as, you know, industry thinks. Um, so it's really imperative to, you know, be proactive on that. Know, know what your numbers are and that surveillance and the multiple samples across, you know, time or across it load is really important to understand where you're at and what precautions you need to take to move forward with getting pigs to perform at essentially their best. And that's just really important is, you know, we're trying to make the pig grow well, but also, you know, maintain health. Great. Well, I want to thank you both for joining today. I know you're busy and you got a lot of things that went in this time of year. So <laughs> thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Win With Science podcast, a podcast about innovation, ideas, and the science that wins. Music